Hey, movie fans, Dimitri Panos here for another episode of Popcorn Talk Network's Anatomy of a Movie. The yolk's on you, eggheads, because we're back for Joker Part 2. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Hey, movie fans, Dimitri Panos, Popcorn Talk. Anatomy of a movie where today we're finally going to wrap up. We're going to wrap up Joker. Uh, and we, 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 this is the first time, too. Uh, there's a lot of history, Anatomy of a movie history broken uh, with this one movie, uh, this being one of them. We've never done a part two for just one movie. And who am I talking to outside of the lovely audience uh, that's tuned in, that'll be tuning in? Uh, Scott Menzel on the far right. Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to be back for this second discussion about this movie because we all love this movie and we love talking about it. Yes, Mina, right next to me, <laughs> yeah. put in between these two white guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm bringing in the diverse perspective there you today. Go. Yes, and the female perspective. And, and a female, female perspective. perspective. That's true. So, a couple of things to, um, to, to 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 break down here before we go back. And dig deeper, and actually get more through this list. <laughs> so, okay, so we are going to be talking about the Joker. Why are we doing a part two? Uh, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, when we were doing it a couple of weeks ago, when Joker opened, uh, I had three pages of notes, and we only really deeply dove into just the one, really. But it was worthy discussion. It was great discussion, but it was so good that we decided right there on the spot that we were going to do a part two. The movie deserves it, and it also deserves a repeat viewing, uh, which I'm sure many of the people who are watching us or listening to us now or will listen to us later may have seen it multiple times. And many, well, this panel uh, right here has seen it multiple times. Scott, how many times have you seen it? I've seen it three times. Mina, you saw it again yeah. since the time we talked about it, right? I saw it two times within the span of, like, seven days. Seven days. <laughs> so it's just crazy how much you can pick up the second time around watching a movie. I picked up on so many things. Yeah, I saw it twice within uh, a week of screening, and then I, I saw it that Thursday night. So, um, so it deserves to get through some more topics while we're going to really talk about some some of the regular topics. Also, it should be said, uh, I have to, you know, I have to put this out there. Uh, very spoiler view discussion. So, at, spoiler alert. There we go. Shields up. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Uh, so, by this time, I'm assuming that you've all seen the Joker. We've seen it multiple times. Yes. By this time, you should have seen the Joker. It'll make this show a little more relevant to you. But if you have not, and you're just tuning in for the first time, shame on you. Go see the Joker, and then go see our part one. Because here's what I have to say, uh, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I have to uh, applause for my fantastic co-hosts. Uh, I said that it broke many records for Anatomy of a Movie. Um, for this, we did such an amazing uh, as as a collective, but I couldn't have done it because my hosts here between Mina and Scott made me look so much better because we got the best response. We got the most viewership within three days of the show. Mm -hmm. Seriously. Of all of Anatomy of a Movie, we got the most views. It hit over a 1,000 before Sunday. Amazing. Also, 
are comments. The comments on anatomy of a movie. You know, movies can be divisive. Uh, not here. All of the comments came back, for the most part, extremely positive. And not only that, but people who are on YouTube, they were part of the conversation with us. They made, we made them feel like they were part of something. And that, to me, is really special. Couldn't have done it without you. Couldn't have done it without you. I have to give some props to some of the comments that came out. Straight Invignable said, absolutely love this movie, Oscars. I sincerely hope you do that part two. <laughs> well, here we are. We're doing part two. Um, and then uh, uh, bl- I blame Gravity One. Uh, I had to go through and watch 20 different Joker reviews looking in search for exactly this type of review and just didn't know until I found it. Awesome job. Can't wait and hope for a part two. Nobody has ever asked me back. Okay. I can just say that right now. So, uh, listen, these... These comments were, they meant so much to us here. Uh, so thank you. We hope that you enjoy part two. So um, now that we know uh, some of these great comments, let's go back into this. And I'm going to start off sort of kind of where we left off. And now that we've had time to, to, to really think about this movie and see it again. So we started off with character studies, Arthur Fleck and his relationships. One of the relationships we really didn't get into that much too, uh, out, out of the myriad of them, was the relationship with his therapist, which we were just <laughs> talking about <laughs> prior to go time here. His relationship with his therapists, I'm going to put a, a plural on that, I found to be extraordinarily uh, uh, relevant, important, and it's one of the things that, Scott, you had brought up uh, in our first one about this is the social rel- relevance of mental health. Right and not paying attention to the signs. So uh, there is a great piece of dialogue here where he was talking to uh, his therapist about suicide mm-hmm. and like how he's, you know, but he's changing his life or you know he feels that he's better uh, mm-hmm. here. And she goes, "Well, yeah," and but here's what I. Something else happened, and, and they're taking away funding, and he's like, you didn't listen to a word I said. Mm-hmm. You, just, you didn't listen to me. Right. And that, to me, is one of those symptoms to why Arthur Fleck goes on his downward spiral mm-hmm. of a therapist who doesn't listen, and a, which mirrors the society that doesn't listen. What are your What are your folks' thoughts on therapist A? We'll yeah. call her um, social worker. Yeah, social worker, which means that she's working for the government. Right. They're cutting funding, um, and she's like not worried about him. She's like probably thinking, "How am I going to survive? Right. Like, what am I going to do?" Um, I don't feel like she's even properly equipped to take care of his needs. And he says that over and over again. He's like, "You don't listen, do you?" And it's such a chilling. You don't listen, do you? You know, all I have are negative thoughts. That's all I have every single day. And she's just, like, asking him the same questions every single day over and over again. How do you feel? What are you doing? And it becomes this repetitive cycle of why do I even come here? Like, he's literally just going there to get his meds. He's not 
feeling like he's being understood or valued as a member of society. Nobody understands him. Like, he always says, like, in every, like, in so many different scenes in the movies and so many different, in so many different ways, he basically expresses, why is everyone so horrible? How come, like, nobody understands me or cares? Or cares. And it's true. And, like, the one person that's getting paid to do this, this is literally her job, (laughs) isn't doing her job. It's, like, literally she's getting paid to do this. She doesn't care. And she says, it's not just that they don't care about you, Arthur. They don't care about me either. Yeah, which which you, you get that point. But I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to bring it back to part one where we talked about this is just a common pattern with, with, with Arthur Fleck. He, society doesn't listen to him uh, or believe him or they don't listen to him. Uh, his boss, his boss doesn't listen to him you know again going back to the dialogue which i think in this movie is so important um you know his boss is like you know arthur what did you do with the sign and he's like why would i take a sign like think about what you're saying like that just sounds why would i take what am i going to do with the sign but yet his boss is still siding with the person that says yeah he ran off with my sign and he goes they cracked it over my head and and again, he's trying to tell the story. He goes, well, didn't you already hear the story? Like, how I got beat up with the said sign that, that you're complaining about? And nobody's listening to him. Um, he's, he can't even get help when he's getting the crap beat out of him uh, in, in an alleyway. Uh, so when it comes from his therapist, who all, you don't know how many years uh, he's been seeing this, you know, this woman, or the social worker, it's like... You're just not listening to me. You just don't, you're not listening. And it's almost like when you go in, well, like when you're in, not like welfare, but if you're collecting unemployment, mm-hmm. did you look for a job this week? Yep. Did you look for a job the week before? Yep. Are you looking for a job? You're just asking the same question. You're not mm-hmm. listening. She doesn't care. Doesn't There's no care. empathy behind that. And no. I think that's something that's so, like, missed. Right. Like, it's missing in this. It's, Scott, I think I know where you're going to go yeah. with the social worker. Oh, well, and, yeah. The, the thing what I problematic for me about this is that you know we have this this solution like we always want to take the easy answer right we want we're looking for the easy answer and in this case the easy answer is hey let's give some medicine here's some more scripts take this and i think i I don't remember the exact number i think it was 10 where he's like i'm on 10 different medicines (laughs) and it's just like we're, we're always constantly looking for that easy fix as a society. Like, what can we do? And just willing to pass the buck. And it's like, all right, well, the doctor should prescribe this, so you should take this. Instead of actually talking to the person and figuring out what is wrong. And, mm-hmm. or in this case, listening to the person and fi- trying to figure out what is wrong. Um, and what I, you know, thinking about this movie some more over the last couple of weeks, you know, I think there's a bigger question is, yes, we, we know that he came from a, a – he has a condition, right? right? But did society ultimately make his condition worse? Oh, of course. Because of the fact that no one was ever taking the moment. Like, was there a point in his – like, we can probably even do a prequel to this movie mm-hmm. where we can see him as a little kid and as a teenager right. and see, like, how his treatment – was and how that actually turned him into the man that he became. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and you know, again, we'll, we'll talk about, uh, because I, I want to, we're going to talk about the other therapist uh, in just a second, too, but, you, but you're right. It's, 
it's this nature versus nurture yeah. kind of thing. And he had no nurture around him. So the nature around him was this really dystopic society that was already built up against anger between the haves and the have-nots, the, the rich getting richer, poor just struggling to get by. Uh, we see it with his 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 Sisyphus trudging up the stairs yeah. every day and his life only getting worse and not changing and only having to go back up those stairs once again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, society is just beating him down. Um, and, and, and he can only, and what's going to talk about reality again, he can only in his mind uh, create a world in which people listen to him. Uh, being his his neighbor, um, you know, in the apartment. So yeah, it's very very interesting. And then um, the other therapist, which shows up at the end of the movie, we were just having a conversation just before we went action. <laughs> um, and okay, so originally when I watched this movie, mm-hmm. uh, I believed the therapist at Arkham uh, Hospital. Uh, to be the same woman. She got a job. I believed it to be the social worker. Um, And because of her graying hair, I took it to be some years later that that after the bedlam and chaos and mayhem that that happened in Gotham, I thought, yes, they captured him. The reality is he's in this loony bin, Arkham, and he's talking to the same woman who has... But... She ends up not, it's not the same woman. And I actually learned, again, this is something else that I, I, I gathered from our comments. Yeah. Somebody had said that. And thanks to that person, because they weren't, a, they weren't an a-hole about it. They were yeah. like, you know, it actually wasn't, it's actually another therapist. And then we looked it up. <laughs> and it actually, it actually is another therapist. Yeah. I'm so which embarrassed. Is, which is very interesting. Well, I, you know, it's, it was just the way she she really did when you put them together they kind of mirror the same person yeah. but if anything they mirror the demeanor mm-hmm. and the yeah. personality cuz right. that therapist too was like very similar you, oh like that's why i thought she's like what are you laughing at and he's like you wouldn't get the joke yeah. right and again like he's put into this situation and i was like oh she is so dead because yeah. <laughs> I thought, now he gets, like, she's stuck here, I'm stuck here back with her? No, that's the joke. And yeah. I think it's 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 common, uh, I think we could agree that the bloody footsteps outside of the white room, you know, she, she met a demise, but it wasn't the same therapist. But yet the same mental, mm-hmm. like, Did just you- the same wherewithal. Did you notice that when he laughed in that last scene, he was actually laughing and it wasn't a part of his condition? Mm -hmm. Like, I thought that was really interesting. Um, And even when you saw the footsteps at the end, I don't know if I'm going crazy because I watched it the second time (laughs) around. And the first time and the second time around, when I'm looking at the footsteps, it was like left, right, left, right, and there was like a blood print, and then it skipped a blood print, and there was nothing there. And I was like, is that a continuity error? I'm like, it can't be because this is a big budget film. There's no way they made that mistake. It had to be intentional. Why was it missing one, like, bloody print on the left? Like, did he maybe, like, not kill her? It was just, no, that was just, again, to mess with the audience about was that in his mind? 
Again, I think that's what I took it as. Oh, Like, really? it's kind of just... The movie is constantly, like, you and I were, like, very disagreeing with him about whether the mom was crazy. Remember, you and right. I were, like, talking all about it. And someone in the comments also brought up, and I was so embarrassed I forgot this, was that photo that he looked at. Mm-hmm. Where T-W. He, yeah, T.W. Yes. on the yeah. back. Right. You know, which therefore leads more into our point How, that maybe we could we could have been right. And however, if you, but however, if you, however, if you yeah. continue to read the comments, somebody <laughs> yeah. said, "How do you know she didn't write that herself?" Also, yeah, that, and also one so. more thing I found in this movie, uh, you know, when he like takes the adoption papers mm-hmm. and he's reading it, yeah. like I try so hard to like read every little thing, like the second time around, and it literally said on the paper when he's reading the documents, it said L O B O T, and then it stops, and I'm thinking lobotomy, obviously. And if they did perform a lobotomy on her, that would explain why she has a positive association with Thomas Wayne, because she probably has a messed up and distorted memory, so she would keep the positive memories from long ago and not be able to have, um, you know, present-day memories be accurate. That's why she's a little, like, all over the place. It doesn't mean that she was crazy before or that she had, you know, some sort of mental illness before. She could have just had that after the lobotomy because of Thomas Wayne. We really don't know, but but we know she got a lobotomy because it's said in the paper. and, And I don't necessarily agree with that because then you're... that It's too precise for a lobotomy. She wouldn't necessarily recognize her son. That's like the other like, thing. I know. Like, the, like, it's like once too, flew over the cuckoo's nest, like just completely gone, right? Yeah, and 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 we've seen it in other movies. How like I, it's kind of hard to t- that that whole but that whole storyline. Yeah, the mom is, yeah. It's just that whole thing. There's so much conversation to be had because I just feel like it's still just so unsure whether or not that's real. Like, what elements of that is real versus not. Yeah. I mean, her explanation made a lot of sense when she's like, oh, like, Thomas Wayne didn't want us to be together because of appearances. That makes sense. Like, it sounds like she's not, like, crazy saying something delusional. It sounds like that's grounded in reality. Again, I don't don't know. I mean, I, I can't... Again, I think that she... She knew enough to lie to... To, to Arthur. I mean, so she had the wherewithal to hide anything that was going on with, with the Waynes. I mean, I don't necessarily... Well, I, I kind of believe maybe something happened, but again, Arthur was adopted. Adopted from whom? Right? right. Who was the father? So if he's adopted, that doesn't... He can't be adopted from his own mother. <laughs> right. Like, was he, so, yeah. Like, was that's he 100% the crazy thing. adopted, though? Because even though they had the adoption papers, Thomas Wayne like was in a position of power where he could be like, okay, and let's like forge, forge yeah. these yeah, documents. No, I'm he, like a billionaire. Let's and, make this and, happen. And again, uh, listen, um, <laughs> listen, when you look at today's current affairs and current events, I, and I, don't dis- I don't disagree with that. But when he approached, again, I only go back to... When he, when Arthur approaches Thomas Wayne in the bathroom, like Thomas Wayne's anger was like, like it wasn't. It he didn't seem like he was acting. It was mm-hmm. like she didn't even tell you she, you were adopted, and he's like going, Jesus Christ, what a what a loon! Like yeah, but what, like, but but, look, but the yeah. level of rage that he had in that scene for like. Again, I'm. I'm just gonna go you know, back. He was so triggered. He was so, he was so, he was so triggered. triggered right away. Yeah. Like it was. It could. Like, it could be like again. what Dimitri said in the past. Like, how would you like it if someone like stuck their that, fingers in your son's mouth? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. True, true, that, That's what I go but back to because that scene it was before also a little intense because the butler's intense. reaction, Alfred's reaction to Joker, like was so intense where yeah. he must have been told something that may or may not have been accurate. You know. 
I don't know. There's so many I, unanswered I, I, I questions mean, because of the but, unreliable narrator. But again, if you're, you're right. He's an unreliable narrator to an extent. <laughs> but you know, again, the reaction that the when Alfred. Let's just, let's just assume he's Alfred, and I think we're right. Yeah, that's one thing we know. <laughs> that's <is> a reality. <laughs> uh, you know, when he wait, your your penny, your penny flex son, and like the he's like, oh, Bruce, come on. Yeah. So you don't unless there is some kind of positive proof, like Alfred. If she worked there, and we know from from Batman lore and Bruce Wayne lore that Alfred had been with the Waynes for quite some time, yeah. so he would have known right. the staff. His his reaction wasn't because somebody told him she was crazy, or she was a bit of a loon. His reaction was like, "Holy shit!" Like you get away from him. His reaction was a butler who protects his ward, his 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 kid, and it was, and he would have had to have had some type of knowledge of his staff because Alfred like any good luck butler you even get it from Downton Abbey that they know their entire staff like really well so it's a it's it's a very interesting conversation but yet she still lied in one way shape or form which again goes back to our therapist society our bosses it's a person who doesn't who's who's not being upfront and is not listening to Arthur, and again, her her cutting her cutting piece of dialogue is, you won't be a comedian, but don't you have to be funny for that? Yeah, it was like, and he just sat there, was like, oh, what do you do? Yeah. Right? That's so, the best reason to suffocate your mom. It's it not was, supporting oh, your wow. dreams. Yeah. <laughs> so, and this is going to bring me back to because uh, we can dive deep into this uh, even more, right? Is Arthur Fleck's relationship with reality. Okay, I think we did a we did a really great job talking about the beginning of the movie. Now I want to talk about you know like the king of comedy type of aspect to this, and I want to talk more about the end of of this movie as to where does reality where is the line blurred between reality and Arthur Fleck's reality. Again, we don't have, as you said, a reliable source, mm-hmm. right? But we can agree that he was on The Tonight Show. Let's just call it The Tonight Show um, with um, Murray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can we agree that yes. he killed Murray? Yes. Right? Okay. And so he escaped. He gets caught. Can we agree that up to the point that the car gets hit by an ambulance that maybe right there reality fractures yeah because he is taken out of the car by other jokers who you have to assume commandeered an ambulance like so and they take him out and they lay him down nicely right bedlam and chaos is happening but they see that it's this Arthur Fleck or the Joker the new mm-hmm. Joker and they all start to praise him as he gets up on the car. Mm. Is that reality? Like, did that happen that way? Or did they really get hit See, by an ambulance? The, yeah. And he, was he taken away to the hospital? Because he had to have been caught. Yeah, at some point he's in the hospital, so we don't know if it's like, you well, know, it's, it's, when he's hit by the ambulance. We don't know when it is, but, like, I would argue that there's no, like, set end point where it shifts from 
you know, reality to his dream world. I think during the entire movie, he's going in and out of both his his reality and what the actual objective mm-hmm. reality right. is. And I think that once he stops taking the medication is when it gets fuzzier and fuzzier, where, mm-hmm. where we really don't know, is this real or is this not? Because there are other theories out there that say, and I hate this theory, by the way, but there's a but big theory it. out there that's like, oh, maybe this whole thing was a lie yeah. and everything was in the room. I no, hate no, that no. theory. No, but because I, I think for the end, know. though, I think, no, but I think for the end... I thought that was I real when I saw it. I yeah, when I saw it, but when I saw it again, it, again, think back to, uh, I'll throw this out there, think back to when he had a, his Kim, King of Comedy moment at the beginning of the movie when he believed he was in the audience of the Murray show, right. and that Murray brought him up on stage, and Murray praised him for being the the good son that he is, and Murray goes and says, God, I'd give this all up for a son like you. Mm-hmm. We know that's fantasy. Right. And here he is in a scene where he's Again, being thrown like there's adulation, like people are like bowing down, and like he's up on a car, and all these people as he's driving by, he sees all these people dressed up in clown masks and makeup, and then at the end, here he is, and all these clowns are looking up to him, like, "Yeah, you caused this. You're the best. You're the king." And I'm like, and then we go uh, when we see him again, he's in Arkham. So he ob- so yeah. he obviously gets recaptured at some point mm-hmm. by police. And again, I'm wondering, that could have been a real ambulance you know, and like real paramedics right. pulling him out. And then his reality kind of blends. I mean, the way that Todd Phillips handles this is, mm-hmm. to me, it's masterful. There, it really is. There's a huge difference, though, where um, in all the other scenes where he's like fantasizing about being praised and like getting this adoration from people, he pra- like he fantasizes about getting it from, um, you know, Murray Franklin, um, you know, Zazie Beetz's character, the neighbor, um, the audience. Uh, when he like practices his whole like entrance and then he mm-hmm. fantasizes about getting praised by the audience mm-hmm. during the Murray Franklin show the second time around, but. When we see him getting praised by the people in Gotham City, it's very different because at this point in time, the people who are praising him are like, you know, the bottom 1% of society as opposed to the middle class. But they wouldn't know who he is. Yes, I like understand that, know, but, but do there's you notice no reason. that there's a big difference between the people yeah, who praise they, him in the beginning versus the people yeah, who praise him in the end? Now no, he's getting praised from his peers as yeah, opposed to... That's why it's more... They wouldn't know who he is. They wouldn't know that he's the guy that started this. Like, again, I'm sure that, that there were a ton of people watching TV, but these riots were happening while the show was going on. So there's, so as many people are at home across the country watching TV, there are at least as many, if not more, in Gotham City who aren't paying attention to the show, and right. they're raising anarchy in the streets, right? There's, there's yes. already riots going on. So when he comes out and he's going up there, people don't know who he is. They don't, but so, there is a certain like suspension of disbelief like tied in with the Batman universe, where we know like I, child I, Bruce Wayne is going to be, you know, Batman yeah. eventually that I no, think there I, is some sort of fantasy element to the story. That's what I'm saying. It's it a could, fantasy. Where it could, but where it could be real. Yeah. No, I believe that's what the Joker wants and then mm-hmm. eventually gets but even his henchmen, like later on down, if you want to bring in Batman I mean, no one's really safe around the guy. Just ask uh, uh, the, the, the Bob <laughs> from, <laughs> from, 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 the, from Batman, Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, again, it's just really interesting because we know that he gets captured. So when does this end? We don't see him. We never see him getting recaptured. Right. We just see everybody in the streets praising him, where it wasn't even out in the news at the time that he was the subway killer. Um, because that's that's the incident that started all mm-hmm. this, because they were yuppie scum. So it's just really fascinating to me, and that's why, like, going back into Arkham, again, you know, he's, he's out of makeup, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, we know him as Joker, but he's technically Arthur Fleck. His identity had to have been found out. By that, when he gets recaptured, mm-hmm. so it's really interesting, and and how the movie ends on such a slapstick. Like that's the other thing too. The movie ends on a very like yes, he killed the therapist. He's walking out, the blood on the, the blood on the floor, and then orderlies are coming to chase him, and it's like a Three Stooges. Woo, 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 woo. Like his feet are slipping in the ground. He goes one way, and then he turns around and they go another way, and that's what mm-hmm. the movie ends. Yeah. The end. So because he says, "Up until yeah. my life, I up until this point, I thought my life was a tragedy, tragedy but now yeah. I realize yeah. it's a comedy." It's a comedy. So that's his perception of reality. No. It's a comedy now. It's yeah. funny. Everything's uh-huh. okay. yeah. Don't you get the joke? Right. And actually, that's a very that's a huge common theme throughout Batman, uh, especially in the comics. Like, don't you get the joke? That's the thing. That's like, yeah. that's funny. And you know, but that in his mind, the opposite of funny is 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 just damn near hysterical. And he and you're right. He loses. He's no longer laughing in his mind. He's laughing on cue, mm-hmm. right? Not because of a right. Not because of an uncomfortable situation. I think anymore. it's interesting because I think that scene is is where everyone is really hung up on with this movie. Anyone, Which one? The one you're talking about at the end there. Where like he's he's sitting there on top of the the ambulance, right. because it it be, like you were saying it becomes this moment of in the past whenever we've seen him having people idolize him and praise him, it's always been fake. Mm-hmm. So I think our 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 initial assumption is to say that like yeah it's fake because that's what we are led to believe. But as you also pointed out, being an unreliable narrator. It could be the one time that it actually is real because mm-hmm. of the fact that it's, I think as you also were trying to say, was it's a different classification. It's in a different context this mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. All the other times were always in like private environments where he was at home by himself. It wasn't in like a public arena. Right. Mm-hmm. So it could possibly be the lead-in because of the fact that it was in the public arena. But I do think... That he was taken away because of the fact that the incidents, what happens with Bruce Wayne being, uh, his parents being killed, he was not involved in that scenario. No. So he was somewhere else. Yeah. So for them to show that, I feel like he couldn't have been present. Because I think they were right. just trying to show all yeah, the rest just, of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like which he had was, started. Yeah, yeah, and which was very interesting. Um, as that was juxtaposed, like the murder of, of Bruce's parents too. So, um, and and a friend and, and colleague, and actually one of the originals who started Anatomy of a Movie, who I saw Joker with the second time was Phil, uh, Phil's VTech. And yes, we remain. He still talks to me, uh-huh. so which is amazing. Thank you for that. But yeah, he said something I thought was really interesting about about the murder of his parents because they made 
Thomas Wayne to be such a dick is like it kind of took away the tragedy yes. of it all from little Bruce Wayne. Like it's like before uh Bruce when his parents were killed, Thomas Wayne was always like Gotham's knight in shining armor and he wanted to take that mantle on but be that as this this entity that could be changed but when he's such a dick he's like <laughs> in Phil's words he had it coming yeah he kind of had it coming like where where he was so that's interesting how it sort of turns the Bruce Wayne origin a little bit on his heels on its heels um I didn't personally have a problem with it mm-hmm. I, you know it, but it also what she was saying, and what we we both agree on is that if if since the mother storyline is not so clear, if you take our approach this to this with him being kind of like a corrupt asshole in power, who basically took let's just say this was his kid, and it was you know we know for sure that he had some sort of affiliation with Penny. Mm-hmm. And for him to completely ignore her in her time of need and when she was whatever was going on, and to put her in the loony bin if that's what happened, that says so much about him. Mm-hmm. So it therefore makes that all the more powerful that you're like, kind of like, yeah, fuck that guy. I want him dead too because he's a prick. He could have stopped this. Yeah. I think that's another part of the movie is that he had the power so early on. Yeah. To stop all this from happening. Yeah, I mean... And he just ignored it. Thomas yeah. Wayne is, is different than what... Well, I, I can speak for myself. Yeah. I being brought up as a kid and reading the comics, right. watching the shows, the movies. It's a different character. Yeah. And I'm not sticking up for the character. One way, shape, or form. I mean, he said, he basically called the poor people clowns. Yeah. And he didn't walk it back. Mm-hmm. Right. And and the movie makes a, a very fine point of saying... He made no attempt to apologize for his remarks made yesterday or something like that. So, again, just holding a mirror up to society and being unapologetic for being a jerk. Right. Um, So that, to me, is just, I I think the ending is very fascinating. Todd Phillips and actually Joaquin uh, Joaquin Phoenix have talked about the end. They're always asked about the end, and they basically like its ambiguity, which I appreciate, too. Because mm-hmm. I think it lends to this great conversation. Yeah, I I don't mind ambiguity. I don't mind ambiguity in an ending of a movie. Yeah, so long as it fits, right? Because we can all have opinions. It goes with uh, the ending of Blade Runner is a good example, or even two thousand and one. What happened? Like so, but there are other movies where it's ambiguous to be artsy, mm-hmm. which I didn't yeah. write. Yeah. You know, yeah. like yeah. like well, yeah. we talk about the lighthouse. Yeah, right. I'm not I think spoiling anything. Flowers every time I talk about that. Any time yeah. where like an ending where it just like the camera spins and then it just ends. Yeah, I think of <laughs> broken. F- no, I, I I know no one's probably seen <laughs> Broken Flowers, but no. it's like it's a movie with yeah. Bill Murray when he was trying yeah. to do a dramatic thing. Yeah. And it just ends, and I'm like, "What the hell? Why did I watch this movie?" It's yeah. just like there's no point to watch this movie. Which is gonna, which is gonna lead me into talking about ambiguity. Like again, a movie where ambiguity works. Um, I'm gonna go back, and I'm gonna call it that '80s show. I want to talk about the setting of the Joker uh, mm-hmm. as well, and I think that that Phillips and his co-writer they made a conscious effort to to pick that time to pick 1981. 
Um, if you go, and I say 1981 uh, because of a movie marquee that was advertising Blowout and Zorro the Gay Blade. Both those movies came out in 1981. Um, one, a comedy, and the other, Blowout, is a Brian is a great Brian De Palma film, mm-hmm. um, which again. It, we're coming out of the 70s, so to put a little background for, for, from, a, from a historical perspective, right, movies in the early 70s were very dark. They were, in a sense, nihilistic. They weren't happy endings, to, to be sure, right? And they were coming out of the Vietnam era. Um, it was 1975 where, where Spielberg's Jaws sort of kind of was... Was was the spark that lit the fire for, for for movie change, where movies could be entertaining without having to be nihilistic and dark, and they didn't have to have necessarily themes. And then we get Close Encounters, and then we got Star Wars, which really changed everything. And then this leads us into the eighties, where we still had remnants of those darker kind of these movies aren't ending very well um, and, and our horror movies in the 70s were, were dark and violent um, you know and I talk uh, I've talked about Halloween coming out in 77 uh, what it has to say about its society but then we had movies like Network yeah, which is a satire on the media it's a satire on us yeah. <laughs> and, and it is about uh, about networks and what's important is it important to get a good story is it more important to get ratings and then a man a, a, an anchor who becomes this overnight sensation because he speaks his mind he speaks the truth uh, uh, he becomes this huge ratings getter until they try to tone him down and whatnot and he ends up being assassinated on TV in front of all the viewing audience. And, again, the ratings were, like, huge. I mean, Network is really a great, great movie. There's a lot of Patty Chayefsky, oh, I think, yeah. in, in this movie. But, again, when we're leading into the, going from the 70s into the 80s, you know, then we had the movie that I think this movie really resembles the most, the, the universe that it's in the most, this Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which you had just seen for the yes, first time. I saw it yesterday, this, and, this, wow. This week. Um, this is a movie that uh, Martin Scorsese uh, about a uh, well edition franchise vet coming back as a taxi driver. Uh, it starred Jodie Foster. This is the movie in which uh, I believe it was Hinckley, John Hinckley, who went and shot the president. He said he did it and uh, he did it for Jodie Foster, <laughs> uh, um, which is pretty scary. So yeah. you know, and that came right from. The Jodie Foster character in Taxi Driver, but the parallels are, are, are crazy. From from this, the 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 the, the finger gun to the head, mm-hmm. and De Niro's and and Taxi Driver is it's a character study of of of, of PTSD, if anything, coming mm-hmm. out of a war, not really having much relevance, and it's his it's his mind. He's, he's losing his mind, and right. he wants to be a hero. So he, he fawns on a, on a... There's Sybil Shepherd who's supposed to be kind, pure, and then there's the prostitute who he has to save, mm-hmm. Jodie Foster, who doesn't want his saving at all. Big right. shootout at the end. What's going on? Big bloody shootout. And the last we really see of De Niro is up against the stairs, and he's, like, just doing... Mm-hmm. 
which completely mirrors this yeah, movie. Yeah, it does. Like, so many times. And then when we talk about reality, we have this great discussion. Again, before we said action, hey, what's real at the end of Taxi Driver? Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, go ahead. So, so what, what did you bring up? Uh, because I think it's relevant to, to Joker, for sure. Um, the, what I brought up at the end? Yeah, yeah. For okay, Taxi Driver. yeah. So when I watched it, I was like, wait, there's no way that this is real at the end. Like, there's no way that he's a hero, and, like, all these things have happened. This doesn't even make sense. Like, how is he a hero for, like, going and shooting a bunch of people? Like, it just, there was just something about the story. It just felt so far-fetched, especially, like, knowing, like, Travis Bickle's character and how he's so troubled and how he's just, like, so disgusted by the filth of New York City, and yet he still chooses the one thing to do that isn't going to make him love New York City. He's literally just exploring it the entire movie as a taxi driver. You could have done anything else. Um, But he couldn't, though, because, you know, he was trying to find work um, post-Vietnam. And I'm just thinking, like, is this real? Like, it was like, if this isn't real and this was happening inside his head, like, what else in the movie was happening inside his head? And that was the point where I was like, okay, there's so many parallels with Joker. It's not just the setting of no. like, oh, there was a garbage strike. Uh, the city is consumed by filth and like low lives and super rats. You know, super rats. Like, there right. was the setting that very closely mirrored the Gotham City that we see in Absolutely. Todd Phillips' version of Joker. Right. But there was also the Travis Bickle character of, oh, he's trying to do good in his mind, what he thinks is good, but then he's just, like, like descending into well, madness, it, just like Joker. He was even going to kill a candidate who is running yeah, for office. Yeah, Palantine. Uh, right. So, you know, going into reality, I mean, if if, if I am correct, you, I mean, I've, it's been a, a, at least a year or two years since I've seen Taxi Driver, but I believe the very last shot is of De Niro in his cab looking up at his rearview mirror and it's his eyes and it's like a freeze frame of that and then the movie ends. Mm-hmm. So in, for me too, like it's right there. It's like, yeah, he didn't survive that kind of a shooting. Like he's, you know, definitely, he's gone. Um, but yes, it, it is another journey into the descent of how society treats people. And again, I think setting Joker into 1981 is brilliant. Right. Because it has that gritty edge. If you set it to today, then it becomes a movie of today. It doesn't really necessarily... Mm-hmm. Yes, you could say it mirrors a lot what's going on, but I... He would be a school shooter if it was set right, in the modern right, day, yeah, honestly. Right. And Yeah, and I think that the topics of gun control... Yep. Mental health, societal anger, um, you know, not being taken care of. I think those those issues and people being angry in the 70s. And I mean, it, it mm-hmm. was, I mean, the movie also is, is basically talking about, which is why it ties in the network so well, is that it talks about the media basically creating this whole thing. Because yes. if the media did not keep promoting this and promoting fear... It would not. It would not happen. It keeps giving him more, more power and more, more. I don't know. More reason to do so. It's. It's like it's weird because all these movies, and you know, you know, we also are going to talk about King of Comedy. Um, you know, it's this. These all ideas of these people who want to become something else, something that they're not, something that they're and, clearly and, and, not, and they know that the media has the power to do so. 
And then that's why I think the movie's so great is because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's like so much like this movie, but it's like it's a hodgepodge of right. like a bunch of these movies. It's not yeah. just one movie. No, it's 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 literally like a combination of themes that were explored in these movies that somehow are still relevant today and puts it in a modern day light even yes. though it's set in an 80s. Right, and I think going back into 1981 in particular, yeah. 1981 was the, to me it was like a tradition it was like a transitional almost like a flashpoint because beyond 81 we started to get the feely good movies, the really good comedies of yeah. the 80s. We got the Top Guns. We got E.T. Yeah. Right? We got Indiana Jones. We got yeah. Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. Movies changed historically. They were more meant to entertain and make audiences feel good when they left the theater and they were commercially successful. But they were also, they took time in making all the movies I just mentioned. And you can start with Jaws were critically acclaimed movies because they were put together so well and so well thought out. They didn't rely on the special effects at the time. I mean, they were special effects driven, but the way in which they were written, everything changed. And it was around 1981 that society started to change because the mood and the tones were changing. Our music was changing. Our music was in the fight between the death of disco and the anarchy of punk rock. And then that was that switched from like where disco officially died and then we had new wave. Yeah. Right? And that's what punk rock became the new wave. And then music actually mattered, but music made people feel good. We we got away from the rebellion songs. Right, which there aren't any like good rebellion songs today, but we went away from the Joni Mitchells and the Bob Dylans to the Sex Pistols, to to like then to the Police, and then to U two, uh, and even the Go Go's, where music was fun again, and, and and things changed starting in the early eighties. But when you put a movie that's in the eighties, number one, it you're able to carry a resonance the way I see it too that we don't do in movies today. Movies aren't as dark as Joker is. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about this because a lot of people, we talked about this, a lot of people are afraid. They're afraid of Joker because it's so dark and it's violent, it's nihilistic. We're not used to this today, but they were in the 70s. That's crazy to me because I feel like there's so much violence in TV (laughs) and movies that when people keep saying Joker is so violent, like, oh, this is going to, you know, stir up some sort of, you know mass shooting or that this is going to cause something. I'm like, are you joking? Like, literally our society now, I feel in many ways is more violent than it was in the past because kids have accessibility to these things in video games, in TV, in cinema. There is so much violence. It's not just, you know, the Pulp Fictions from back in the day or the Godfather. This is happening now. It's like the Sin Cities. It's, you know, the the DC Universe, you know? (laughs) It's It's, so much violence. Like, it Even, is. you know, and it's it's so shrugged off. Like, you see someone, like, shooting a bunch of people, and you're like, oh, okay, that's fine. Hey. But when Joker does it, it's different, because they're not only, like, showing someone just kill a bunch of people, like, in Fast and the Furious. It's someone with a mental illness doing this, so it adds a different layer that is scarier, because it's something that we don't talk about. Right. We don't well, talk about mental illness. No, they don't. And, and to your point about violence, too, you know, there, there was a certain person who who at one point said that he could shoot a person in Times Square and get away with it. On Fifth Avenue. On Fifth Avenue, yeah. forgive me. Uh, yeah, and, and so 
But again, just going back to in the 70s, these movies were the types of, these were the kind of movies that we were getting. You know, and The Godfather notwithstanding, The Godfather was showing something else. But even when you look at a movie like Apocalypse Now, you know, um, these were dark. They ended you dark know what? Go ahead. It just bothers me real quick. Yeah. It's just that we, we, we love, like, one of the things that I truly freaking bothers me about criticism and, like, yes. being a film critic, and, I, and I've been one for, like, 19 years of my life, is that... We hold, we hold these different standards based on the movie and what people say of the movie. So, like, we'll say that this is too, like, edgy or this is too dark or we hate this because... And I've read this ridiculousness because it's Todd Phillips and he's made Hangover and he was so sexist in Hangover with these jokes about gay people and things of that nature... Yet then we'll turn a blind eye if someone else does it and be like, oh, Scorsese did it. It's art. It's right. wonderful. Yeah. And it, like, it's just, it's this bullshit I, that, yeah. like, and that's what, what's supposed to be so great about filmmakers when they step outside their comfort zone and they do something that's different. But then if we don't like what that, we, we want him to do this, or this is what he's known for. Why is he trying to do this? He can't do this. It bothers me tremendously. I, and, I agree. and the fact that, you know, we're talking in this day. I mean, when I was in grad school, I wrote a paper about violence versus sexuality in film. And it's amazing to me that now we're still having this conversation, what, like 10 years later, 12 years later, about the same exact topic. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about movies like American Psycho that were so incredibly violent and over the top. I mean, I, I mean, not to, Todd Phillips when he was going on his preaching war, like you know, brought up things like John Wick. You know, it's not a good example, but like, still the violence in that movie, it's so much more. I'm gonna quote. I'm gonna mm-hmm. quote a friend, and I'm yeah, not. Gonna, I'm not. You. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say his name, but uh, he has a. He has a. His kids uh, takes his kids to the movies. And he will like be, but that's rated R. Like why? Like you're going to take him to that, but you won't take him to this rated R movie. Oh well, that rated R movie has sex in it. He goes, <laughs> yeah. He goes, this movie just has violence. Yes. I go. That We're desensitized by it. Yeah. Go, you're, you're not making sense. It's right like people now. would rather have right. their kids watch, you know, someone They're, blowing up but, a school than right. like having well, sex. with But someone. it pretends what the movie is, right? right. Like it yes. all depends. Right. Like okay, so. Yes. John Wick is this, and I think this is what Todd Phillips was trying to say, but did so such a bad job yeah. saying it. Was that people are so okay going in to John Wick and seeing like 150 people die right. and get stabbed and blood flowing oh. everywhere, yeah. and in this movie where the violence is very minimalistic, honestly, it's yeah, not that it's violent not of a no. movie, but because it's grounded more in a reality, reality. sense. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, oh no. Yeah, and this is where I think the controversy is silly. Yeah. I mean, I honestly think that it's silly. I, I, I think that and, and and this I'm gonna bring I'm gonna there's a reason I'm going this this route here because I do, I think it's silly. And for people to call this like we're not in today's world of movies, right? Our version of dark is like having Spider-Man turn to dust. Yeah. Oh, oh my god, god he yeah. turned to dust! It's the most fun. even though you know we signed for a sequel, yeah. you still thought it was the most harrowing moment in cinematic history. Yeah. And this but but this again, and I think this is why it's brilliant for setting this in eighty one. Yeah. Because that's how it kind of was. 
Like that's how the the culture, the pop culture, I'll call it, the movies had a cynical had a cynical tone to them. It was on purpose. Even King of Comedy, which we didn't get into, which also is about a person who wants to be something that he's not even close to being. He wants to be a talk show host. Yeah. He thinks he's going to be the next Johnny Carson. He thinks he's the funniest thing since since um see see um Steve Tell Allen. So, well, since Steve and 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 it's his perception where he goes so far as to actually kidnapping yeah the 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 late night host so he could get on uh, on board and again a fu- a dark that now that movie is a darkly comedic movie also directed by Martin Scorsese but when we talk about today what movies do we have outside of some of the horror movies like a saw could yeah be, Mm-hmm. Dark, but they're not like Silence of the Lambs. Right. I mean, can we you have think Gone of any Girl. movies? Gone Girl is the female equivalent of Joker in so many ways. She well, we, literally, we, we do, you know, yeah. fakes her own rape and does like these crazy things to trap Ben Affleck's character <laughs> yeah. into staying with her. Like, I, I that's mean, that's in some yeah. ways that's even crazier than what Joker well, does. It is. And but what movies do we have today that we that we would that we consider as dark. That one. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean Gone Girl is a good is yeah. a good David a good Fincher movie. It's a psychological thriller. But, but it's a thriller, have, but how, like... Because it goes into her psyche, like what she's yeah, thinking. Right. It's very similar to Joker, the female equivalent, in the sense that with Joker, he has his diary, and he's talking about his thoughts, and he's writing what? them down. Gone Girl, she's literally narrating her thoughts and why she's yeah. doing what yeah, she's doing. Yeah, but to me, it's not similar a Similar to Taxi Driver. It, to me, her character in Gone Girl is not a descent into lunacy. She was already a lunatic. <laughs> no, it is, it is her descent into lunacy, <laughs> because she starts so. off like she, being happy and like yeah, in this marriage, and then gradually just feeling like she has to put on she, a face. She's nuttier than a free. She's if she can scheme a plan like that, which she, she's already nutty. Like to me, like this isn't like I, I love Gone Girl. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, David Fincher is great, and it's probably like Tyler Perry's best dramatic role. <laughs> let's be honest. Um, but I don't know. There's no descent into her lunacy. She's just she's batshit crazy. This woman and what she's able to dis- to, to 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 derive. But I say like I'm thinking like. What is a movie that's dark? Like, yes, Gone Girl, and that Gone Girl came out within the past decade. Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, again, it's not necessarily. I mean, okay, it's it's sort of like a horrorish movie, but again, this is a dark movie, and I think it frightens people. Like, Gone Girl didn't frighten people. Right? What? I, no, no I don't girl. think. You, 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 I was so freaked out watching that. No, like, Gone Girl didn't like frighten people. And, and I'll say this too, and I know we have to wrap up. Please just give us a, a few more minutes. I apologize. But because I, I don't really, I don't think we need a part three. But I want to go into the Academy for this because, number one, I think Joaquin Phoenix should be a lock for best actor slot. 100%. Yeah. And I also feel that. The movie Joker sh- should be a lock for a best for one of the best mm-hmm. picture slides. And I think though, I think that the Academy will be too afraid 
to give it the Oscar. Well, Don't be too afraid. Here's the thing. If Black Panther was nominated for, you know, Best Picture last year, there was no reason why Joker, as a character study, as a deep dive into Arthur Fleck's transition into madness, why it shouldn't I, be nominated for Best Picture. The directing, I, 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 incredible. The acting, incredible. Cinematography, and the, and the incredible. writing, I think, is spot yeah. on. Uh, I just think that they will be... Too They'll afraid. be too afraid. I mean, it, it, there's. I don't know if anyone's read this this article, but there, Scott Scott Feinberg over at Hollywood Reporter did a survey of Academy voters or Academy. I don't know people people in the Academy basically, and what their take was on Joker and if they would watch it. And there was a big handful of people that basically said they won't even watch it. They won't even watch. Well. It. Mm-hmm. It's so, fascinating. It's yeah. fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, two hundred thirteen million dollars at the box office. So a yeah. lot of people are watching it. It had a great second weekend. It continues to do really well. Uh, I think that people have been finding it out. And I think in part because of the controversy. I also want to say in part because of maybe this show. <laughs> <laughs> Why the hell not? Why? Um, in any case, again, now I you think, became Arthur Fleck. Now, now I'm, yeah. Yeah, because it's all in my head. Yeah, yeah this whole show you don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> In any case, um, listen. I think this is our. Th- this is probably uh, another great show, yeah, folks. And I think that we did this movie the justice that it deserves. Uh, I wanted to thank you, Mina. Thank you very much. Where can people find you? You guys can follow me on Instagram at Mina Makes Magic, and please, please, please be sure to check out my Joker uh, spoiler review. It's an Easter egg special on Popcorn Talk. It's called Three Things You Missed in Joker. It is so good, you guys. So check it out. You can find me at Twitter and Instagram at the other Scott M. You can go to WeLiveEntertainment.com. Thank you. And you can find me here on Popcorn Talk Network's Anatomy of a Movie, where we're going to have a lot more movies between now and the end of the year. We're going to do try to do some uh, deep diving into some indie films that are coming yeah. out because uh, they need their justice. Also, uh, on the Twitters, follow me at Dimitri Panos. I wanted to thank everybody who tuned in and wrote our comments. Thank you so much. It meant a lot to the crew. It meant a lot to me as being on anatomy of a movie for over six years now uh this is great it truly is an honor and a pleasure to be here to talk about movies in general with you thanks for tuning in all thank you to popcorn talk network thank you my great host you really do make me look better and that says a lot because i know how i look (laughs) in any case see you later folks bye see ya from producers maria menounos kevin undergaro and the entire popcorn talk network we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.